Well, hey, welcome to Central Christian Church. So glad that you tuned in on this Sunday. Uh, I want to invite you to turn your Bibles with us to the book of Philippians, the book of Philippians. You can pull it up on your mobile device or turn in your, your physical Bible. If you're with someone there in the room and you get there before they do, don't get too proud. We'll deal with that in chapter two of the book of, of Philippians. We also have some notes. I invite you to follow along. Uh, these, this is a printout of our notes, but uh, on our website, you can actually go there and, and look at uh, the notes. Uh, to save those, you can, you can uh, email them to yourself or, or print them off and refer to them throughout your week. Uh, pray through them in your devotional time and kind of massage this message into your life a little, little more. Also, as we kick off this, this new series, the book of Philippians, just four short chapters, uh, but packed with potent content. And uh, we're going to just break it down verse by verse. So uh, a challenge for some of you, you might be willing to accept this, is to uh, memorize the book of Philippians as we go. So each week, it'll probably be no more than, than seven or eight verses at a time. So a verse a day, you could memorize the entire book of Philippians. But uh, I'm excited for this book. It's a very quotable book. It, it's one of my favorite books. There's some, some passages in Philippians that perhaps you've You've heard before, like, like this passage in Philippians 1, 6, it says, says, he who began a good work and you will complete it until the day of, of Christ Jesus. We're going to talk about this passage today. For me to live is Christ and to die is, is gain. Uh, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider other people better than yourself. It goes on to say, say this in Philippians 2, 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. He says, I press on towards the goal to, to win the prize, which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And one of my favorites, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Paul would go on to say in, in this letter of Philippians, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And check this out. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. We go on to the next slide here. And this is probably uh, one that you'll see uh, in this uh, football season. You can go to the next slide. It says this. You'll probably see this on NFL players. It says, it says I can do all things through Christ who... Who strengthens me? Uh, just, just the tip of the iceberg. But Philippians is a very, very quotable book. And, uh, and, and I'm just excited to kick off this new series that we're calling Joy. The first part of this series through Philippians is joy. And, and, and literally, Paul is going to give us principles for how we can live a joy-filled life. And how desperately do we need that today? It was a Washington Post article that cited a UN report that stated Americans are increasingly unhappy. Even after the, the Great Recession of 2008, when the economy started to rebound, Americans continued in decline in contentment and in happiness. Uh, there's a lot of theories out there, a lot of sociologists uh, hypothesize on this, but, but what the reports and what the data point to is that, that Americans are becoming increasingly addicted. They label us a mass addiction society. In other words, there are so many addictions controlling Americans that Americans are unhappy. Chemical addictions and substance abuse, pornography addictions, gambling addictions, food addictions, addictions to online gaming and social media. Uh, the, the article stated that, that teenagers, the average 17-year-old teenager, spends an average of seven hours a day on social media and 
online. And as a result, our teens are increasingly isolated, lonely, depressed, and unhappy. We are a very unhappy society, which makes what Paul writes to us all the more timely, all the more potent, all the more powerful, all the more necessary for us today. We are in a pandemic of depression and unhappiness, which, was, which leads to the question, like, what, where do we find happiness? As a matter of fact, what is happiness? Where do we find joy? What is joy? And so I thought we'd start off this series with just a couple of clarifying definitions. The first is, here's what happiness is. Happiness is a sense of satisfaction based on what happens. It's based on happenstance. Whenever things go the way I want, I'm happy. When they don't, I'm, I'm not happy. You're able to rent the house you wanted. You're able to, to get the car you wanted. You're able to get the job you wanted. You're able to get the relationship you wanted. You're able to get into the college that you wanted. You're able to get the degree that you wanted. And when you, those things happen, you, you experience happiness. It's based on what happens. The root of the word happiness is hap, which, which literally means to be favored by luck. So when things go your way, you're happy. When they don't go your way, you're not happy. That's, that's happiness. Joy, on the other hand, is very different. Joy is something that only God can give. And joy is the sense, a sense of delight or pleasure you feel regardless of your circumstance. And that last part's important. Regardless of your circumstances, you can have joy. You can have joy regardless of circumstances. So where, where does joy come from? How, how do we get it? Uh, where is joy found is a good question to to wrestle with as we kick this series off. And I just believe that joy comes from God alone. Uh, the Bible would say this, that, that joy is found in the presence of God. In his presence, the psalmist wrote, in his presence, Psalm 1611, is fullness of joy. Where is it found? In God's presence. Second, joy is found in believing the gospel. If you're taking notes, this is, write this one down. Joy is found in believing the gospel. In the Christmas story, we see an angel appear to shepherds in a field. And, and here's the message that the angels share in Luke 2. It says that the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. This word great joy, it, it could literally be translated mega joy. Like joy overflowing with joy. Joy on top of joy. Joy that's so exuberant. It's, it's hard for us to even to fathom. It's, it's mega joy. There's good news that causes mega joy. And who's it for? everyone, for all people. That means it's available to you. You can have joy today. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So, so whatever joy is, somehow it's attached to a savior. Somehow it's attached to the Messiah. It's attached to the Lord. It's joy is found in the deliverance. It's found in this, this good news that results in great joy. Joy is found in believing the gospel. First Peter uh, 1.8 says this, uh, you love him. This is talking about, about Jesus. You love him even though you have not seen him. And though you do not see him now, you trust him. This is the description of a follower of Jesus, someone who believes the gospel. Sometimes situations, circumstances don't make sense, but we're saying, God, we trust you anyway. More than what I can see, more than what I can feel. God, I'm anchoring myself in you. Though you cannot see him, you trust him and now you rejoice with inexpressible joy because you believe the gospel. You can, you can have joy that's so great, words cannot articulate it. It's joy abundantly. 
The third area where, where joy is found, joy is found through the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that produces light, uh, joy in the life of the believer. Uh, Galatians 5, through 23, it lists the, the fruits of the Spirit. And the second is joy. But the Holy Spirit produces this. This is the result of the Holy Spirit's activity in our lives. Uh, whenever we're, we're allowing the Holy Spirit to have his way in us, uh, we live a life that results in love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Joy is found in the presence of God. Joy is found in believing the gospel. Joy is found as a result of the Holy Spirit. And I just want you to know that God desires for you to have joy. And here's why you should want to have joy, because as we're going to see in this this book, this study of, of Philippians, the guy writing this book is, is the Apostle Paul. And what we're going to talk about in, in week three is that, that Paul is actually chained. He's chained to a Roman guard. He's in jail, unjustly tried, 24 hours a day, chained to a guard. But in the midst of that, Paul has joy, regardless of what's happening in his circumstances around him. Paul has joy. How do we know this? Well, well Paul writes this in Philippians 1.4. He says, I always pray with joy. Philippians 1.18, because of this, I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. Philippians 3, finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Regardless of circumstances, Paul has joy and so can you. Uh, in, in fact, you know, when it comes to joy, it's not a luxury. It's actually a necessity for the believer. Here, here's why Nehemiah 8.10 says this, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Listen, if you want to be strong, if you want to be strong in the Lord, you want to be strong in life, it, it requires joy. The joy of the Lord is, is your strength. So I'm praying as we begin this study through the book of Philippians, I'm praying through the book in preparation for this, but I'm praying for you specifically that you would experience a new normal of joy. That, that when people see your life, they, they would know that you spent time in God's presence. They would know that you believe the gospel. They would know that the Holy Spirit is working actively in your life and therefore you would bear fruit in your life that results in joy. My prayer is that when a doubting world examines your life, they would see an attitude of joy. So today we're going to look at three keys to joy from the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1 verses 1 through 8 is where we'll be. We're going to look at three keys that result in joy and uh, three ways that we unlock joy in our life. Here's the first key. The first key to, to discovering joy, unlocking joy in our life is to, by remembering the good in life. Remembering the good in life. It unlocks joy. Uh, Philippians 1 verses 1 through 5 Paul writes this, uh, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi. And he says, he calls them saints. And, and just so you know, that's not like the New Orleans saints. It's not talking about a football team. It's not talking about guys that walk around in robes and Birkenstocks, not guys that are, are just on stained glass windows. He's talking about people like you and me. Because whenever you put your faith in Jesus, he says that you're, you're holy, you're, you're set apart. Uh, this word for saints is, is hagios in the Greek. It means to be, be set apart, to be, be separated. And whenever you put your faith in Jesus positionally in Christ, you are holy, you are separated, you are set apart for God's purpose in your life. 
And you might say, well, <laughs> I certainly don't feel holy. Uh, well, it doesn't matter how you feel. Uh, Jesus says, because of what he's done for you on the cross, you are holy. And so Paul is reminding this group of people that he calls them, so this is you, you're, you're a saint in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse three, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Every time Paul remembered the Philippians, the church at Philippi, he says, I, I remember you and I pray with joy. Now I want to kind of set the stage for us on what what took place at Philippi and kind of some backstory of, of how Paul would come into relationship with this church and, and would end up writing him, them this, this letter. Uh, Paul was an apostle. He goes around planting churches uh, all around, everywhere he goes. And he goes to, to this providence of Philippi and, and he encounters uh, this group of ladies and he, he shares the gospel with them and they, the church is birthed. But some very tragic things happen at Philippi. At 1 Thessalonians 2.22, uh, Paul writes to the church of uh, Thessalonica and he tells them what, a little bit of what happened at Philippi. He says, we had previously suffered and had been treated outrageously. What happened at, at Philippi? Suffering, ridiculous treatment, treated outrageously. Where? In Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell the gospel in the face of strong opposition. At Philippi, Paul and Silas experienced strong opposition. And to kind of get the, the full backstory of what took place here, you can look in your Bible at, at Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, they arrive in Philippi and, and Paul's going for a walk and he shares the gospel with a group of ladies. And one of the ladies named Lydia, uh, God opens her heart to the gospel and, and she's an affluent uh, entrepreneurial lady that, that owns this, this company that, that deals in purple cloth. She becomes a follower of Jesus and, a, and an asset to Paul's ministry. Matter of fact, Paul stayed with Lydia in her home while, while he was there. But some crazy things happened in, in Philippi. We read this in Acts 16, verse 16. He says, when, when we were going to a place of prayer, we, we met a slave girl who had the, the, a spirit by which she predicted the future. And just a, a random sidebar here. I would just caution you to be very careful whenever it comes to engaging with psychics, engaging with, with fortune tellers, playing with Ouija boards, because those things at times are very real. But every time they are very real, you're engaging with demonic power. And that's what happens here. This, this girl can, can tell the future. She, she had earned a lot of money uh, for her owners by fortune telling. Uh, this girl followed Paul and, and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God. And we, they are telling you the way to be saved. Whatever is happening here, Paul's not real happy about it. He, he, it kind of irritates him. She kept this up for many days. And finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope for making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. This all is in Philippi. Uh, verse 20, they brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. 
Verse 22, the crowd joined in and attacked them, Paul and Silas and the magistrates, and they ordered Paul and Silas to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving this order, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. So here's Paul, this guy who loves God. He's going to try to share the good news to help people in Philippi find and follow Jesus. And he's met with opposition. This demonized woman, he sets her free. And as a result, he's brought before the magistrates of the city. And they say, hey, you're going to prison. Before you go to prison, we're going to beat you. And they bloody his back. And, and, and the, the, the guard is like, oh, we got to watch you close. So they lock their legs in stocks. And the next verse says it's at midnight when Paul looks to his buddy Silas. And he says, you know what, man, we got to pray. You know what, you know what, Silas? No, we need to pray. We need to worship. We need to worship God. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the, the, what Silas's face must have looked like in that moment? Like, you, you want to do what? Like, my back hurts. I can't feel my feet. Like, Paul's like, yeah, we got we to gotta worship. I think it's partly what we talked about last week. And kind of this, this Paul, this, this tremendous leader knew that, that, that you can rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. He does what King David did. And he encourages himself in the Lord. And he goes where? To the presence of God. Why? Because in the presence of God, there's fullness of joy. Paul's like, this, this situation, I'm not super happy about it, but I need some joy. So God, we just worship you. And he begins to lift his voice. And here's what happens. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there came a violent earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken. At that, the, all the prison doors flew open and every chain came loose. The jailer woke up and he saw the prison doors were open. He drew his sword and he was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are here. Paul leads this, this prison guard to Jesus and, and baptizes this, this prison guard and his family. And they start cleaning the wounds of Paul and Silas. The next morning, the magistrates find out that Paul's a Roman citizen and they are terribly alarmed. Because at this time, it was Roman law that you cannot, cannot punish somebody that was a Roman citizen without a trial first. And these magistrates, they, they had beaten Paul, they had imprisoned Paul, and these magistrates knew that they themselves, as a result, could themselves be beaten, could themselves be imprisoned, could themselves be killed. And so they write to Paul and they say, send a messenger and say, hey, just leave town. You know what? Our bad. And Paul's like, no, like, I know the law. You come and apologize to me and you escort us out. So the magistrates come down with their tail between their legs and, and escort them out. And then Paul goes back to Lydia's house, encourages the church there, and then moves on their way. So if that is a backdrop of how Paul got to meet the church at Philippi, let's now go back to Philippians chapter one. And Paul writes this, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Imagine that. Every time I remember you, I always pray with, with joy. Don't miss this. Paul's teaching us something here. He's teaching us to remember the good things. Paul could have said, hey, I, when I remember you, I remember your demonized citizens. When I remember you, I remember your unjust officials. Matter of fact, I remember how, how, how wicked your politicians are. I, when I remember you, 
I remember how you imprisoned me. I remember how, how they beat me. Matter of fact, I, when I remember you, I remember the scars on my back. That's what I remember about you, Philippi. But he doesn't. He chooses to remember the good. It's human nature, right, to recount the wrongs, to recount when people do us dirty, to recount the injustices towards us, to recount when people mistreat us. The reality is there isn't a person watching this today that couldn't go through a list of all the unjust things that have happened to you, how, how people treated you wrongly, how, how people physically hurt you, how people gossip behind your back, how people maligned you when you weren't around, how, how people, you, you got the wrong end of that deal. We could all go through a list of all, all the times we were cheated or took advantage of. It's our human nature to hang on to those hurts, but not only to hang on to them, but we we tend to rehearse them. We mull them over in our minds time and time again. But when we choose to hang on to the hurt, when we choose to rehearse the hurt, we're choosing a life without joy. This is in your notes. Joy cannot be present today when we're rehearsing the hurts of yesterday. And Paul has given us a key to joy. And the first thing we need to do is to stop ruminating, stop rehearsing the hurts and the pain over and over in our mind. We talked about this last week in our, our study on mental health, but now psychologists are, are saying that, that this rehearsing hurts over and over in our mind, this re ruminating is now the leading cause of suicide in our culture. Because every time we, we rehearse the hurt, we embed that memory deeper and deeper and it gets nastier and nastier. It's harder for us to trust people. It becomes harder for us to open up to people and be vulnerable. It becomes harder for us to love people well because you start to build a wall that subconsciously we build a wall that's intended to insulate us and protect us, but really only ends up to isolate us and eventually imprison us. And Paul refuses to do that. And as a result, he has, he has joy. Uh, Philippians 1, 3 through 5 he says, I, I thank my God every time I remember you. This word thank is the Greek word Eucharisto. Uh, we get our English word Eucharist from it. Uh, it's the Lord's table. It's the table of, of thanksgiving. Uh, Paul is saying, I have a thanksgiving celebration every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul's saying, man, I remember the times we prayed together. I remember, I remember how you helped me, how you helped bandage my wounds after my back was beaten. I remember when you showed up. And I remember the first time I shared the gospel. I remember baptizing you. I remember your partnership in the gospel from the first day. So I remember how you lived on mission, inviting your friends and live with a one friend focus and helping people find and follow Jesus. I remember the good things. And it led to a life of, of joy for Paul. I want to show you this, this picture, uh, uh, obviously a picture of cows and a beautiful, beautiful sunset. Uh, I'm from the Midwest, so you kind of have to hang with me on this one. Um, but, but I actually thought of this picture as I was reading this, this passage. And what, what brought it to my mind is, is this, this fact that anyone can find the cow patties in the pastures of life. All right, like anyone can find the crap. Like there's crap, you got cows, you got, you got cow patties. You got people, you got cow, you got patties. You're like, there's, there's, there's stink everywhere. It doesn't take any talent to identify stink. It doesn't take any talent to find, find what's wrong. But it takes a mature person to say, you know what? I could talk about the cow patties all around us, but look at that sunset. I mean, look at the mountains. Wow, that's pretty. 
You know, we could point out, when you know stuff about people, you could say, man, uh, you know what they did? You, you, you mean to tell you about the mess they made? Or we could, we could tell you about the landscape surrounding their life. And Paul's just making this choice. He's modeling for us the key to a life of joy is found in remembering the good. It's speaking the best, believing the best, remembering the good in life. The second key is this, recognizing God is doing a work in each of us. Joy comes by recognizing God is doing a work in each of us. Philippians 1 uh, verse 6, Paul writes, being confident of this. In other words, he's saying, I know that I know that I know that I know that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul says, I know, I know God's doing a work in you and I know God's doing a work in me. I know we're not where we, where we want to be, but, but praise God, we're not where we used to be. And, and praise God, there's coming a day when we will be like him. It can all change in, in, a, in a blink, in the, the blink of an eye, in a moment, God could come back and we'll be, we'll be fully experiencing the righteousness of, of Christ. One day we'll experience that. And I know God's doing a work in you and he's going to continue it until the day he comes back. It allows Paul to interact with people with grace instead of thinking harshly or critically about the church and the people of Philippi. Paul takes a posture that says, no, I, you know what? I know God's doing a work in them. He doesn't say, I know God's doing a work in you. And like, he really needs to as well. Cause like got a few things going on. He doesn't say that. He said, I'm just thankful. I know God started a work. God's going to finish the work. What we're talking about here is a, a graciousness or a, a grace-filled approach to interacting with people around us. It creates joy in our pre the presence of other people and joy instead of frustration with the people we're called to love. If you started uh, thinking about uh, all the wrongs with people, uh, why didn't they get this together? How are they still blowing this here? I mean, they, by this time, they should be much further along. Man, it leads to resentment. It leads to, to bitterness, leads to critical attitudes. But we remember, no, you know what? God's doing a work. And if, if anyone can complete it, <laughs> I'm gonna leave that in the hands of God. It doesn't take any talent. It doesn't take any spiritual giftedness to point out what's wrong in people's lives. It takes a man or woman of great faith to say, I know there's some cow patties. I know there's some mess in their life, but I know God's doing a work. And where there is weakness, I'm believing for a day where there's strength. Where they're currently struggling, I'm believing for a day of victory. Where they're currently in despair, I'm believing for a day of joy. That takes faith and it leads to joy in your life as you interact with people. Let's be people who believe the best, start talking that way fills joy in our hearts, joy instead of frustration, joy instead of a critical attitude. God has started a good work in them and God is faithful to complete the work. And that's where, where Paul anchored his, his mind when it came to this church in, in Philippi. The third key is relationships with other believers. Third key to, to unlocking joy in our life, it comes through relationships with other believers. Let's look at it in, in verses seven through eight. He says, it's right for me to feel this way about you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. He, he's saying, you know what? Like whether I'm in chains in bad times, whether I'm defending and confirming the gospel, good times, like 
I'm just thankful because you're with me. Like I, I have relationship with you. Like, like I know you, like it's much, much deeper than mere acquaintances, but, but I, have you in my, I have you in my heart and God can testify how I long for you with, with all the affections of Christ Jesus. Paul started by saying, it's right for me to feel this way about you. What's, what way is he talking about? Well, everything he just said. He says, it's right for me to be thankful for you. It's right for me to, to have joy when I remember you. It's right for me to, to have joy when I think about how God's working inside of you. All this comes from a relationship. It's, it's hard to, to have joy over people that you don't know. It's hard to be thankful for someone you don't know. It's hard to, to believe that God's gonna finish the work that he started in someone when you don't know the good work that he started in them. But Paul knows them on a deep level and that's why it's, it's important for us to know people beyond the surface level. Like it's important for us to get in, into groups and do life with each other, to be part of a community where we can, can peel back layers and, and sharpen each other along life's journey. That's what, that's what Paul's talking about. He said, like, I have you in my heart. I don't say that to strangers. <laughs> I long for you with the affections of Christ. Like I, he really loves these people on a deep, deep level. Uh, one of the most uh, thorough research projects on relationships is called the Alameda County Study. It takes place right here. It took place right here in the Bay, rather. And it uh, was headed up by Harvard social scientists and it tracked 7,000 people over nine years. Here's where their findings, and I quote, uh, researchers found that the most isolated people were three times more likely to die than those who had strong relational connections. Uh, people who had bad habits, such as smoking, poor eating habits, obesity, or alcohol use, but had strong social ties, lived significantly longer than those who had great health habits, but were socially isolated. Uh, one, one author, after reading the study, concluded this. He said, he said uh, it is better to eat Twinkies with good friends than to eat broccoli alone. Like, <laughs> fair enough. Maybe it's better to eat Twinkies anyway. I don't know. But, but it's not good for us to be alone. Like, I guess not, you weren't created to live in isolation. It's not good for you physically. It's not good for you mentally. It's not good for you spiritually. Uh, Genesis 2.18 says this. So this is the very beginning. After God just makes Adam, he says, hey, wait a minute. It's not good for you to be alone. And, and social research, science is now just catching up to what the Bible has been saying for centuries. It's not good to do life alone. When we do life alone, we, like people who live in isolation, you just get weird, don't we? Like we, we get, I get weird. Like I get in my own head and I write narratives that aren't even true. And I win arguments in my mind, but I'm not actually talking to anybody. You know, it's, we get weird. But in community, when we do life with people, it knocks off the rough edges. It allows us to see things from other people's perspective, to have a mature adult conversations about topics that really matter, even when we disagree with each other. It's good to be around other people. It gives you a higher quality of life. When we gather in this room, like, man, it's good to be with people. When we gather online with people and have watch parties and, and talk about the message with family afterwards, it's good. It's good to be together. We become the tangible body of Christ. When we, when we assemble, we are the company of the redeemed. Like, like there's something unique about this, this gathering. 
Another study uh, reported in the Journal of American Medical Association, they, they uh, surveyed 276 volunteers and they infected them with a virus that produced a common cold. The study found that people with strong relational connections did four times better fighting off the illness than those who were more isolated. These people were less susceptible to colds, had less virus, and produced significantly less mucus than the relationally isolated subjects. Uh, I'm not making this up. This is what the report said. Uh, So basically, it literally could be true that friendly people are less snottier than the, the socially, yeah, less snotty people, be around people. Unfriendly people are less snottier than friendly people. Make, write that one down. One final report, uh, a report from uh, researchers at Harvard University, Wisconsin, Madison. Uh, they studied life satisfaction. What brings satisfaction to people's lives? What was unique about this study is that they compared relationships with people inside the church. They also compared relationships with people outside of the church. And so here's what they found. The research uh, found, and I quote, uh, that if you compare two people with the same number of close friends in life, both inside the church and relationships outside the church, those with stronger relationships inside the church reported being happier. In other words, people had more satisfaction out of their church friends than out of other relationships in their life. The article closes with this. Uh, the guy's name who wrote the article was, was Peter Lamb, and, and he states this. He says, I'm not a religious person. So after I studied this, I was surprised by how well the friendships within a congregation actually explain people's satisfaction. So much so that I personally considered whether or not I should go to church. I know it would make my mother happy. <laughs> and I would say not only would it make your mom happy, it would bring you joy. And research is finally catching up to what the Bible has said for centuries, that joy comes through relationships with other believers. That's why it's important for us to keep showing up. That's why it's important for you to join a group, to get plugged into community. I, I know some of you are tuning in from other states and, and you can't get, get in person or on campus, or maybe you feel like because of some illnesses, it's not wise for you to do that right now. But I would just say this, don't be isolated. Do life with people. There's a lot of Zoom groups happening right now. If you, if you want one, you're like, here's a recommendation. Uh, Roger Edrington's doing a Zoom group. They meet every Tuesday night, I believe. Uh, he's a great, great man. Uh, loves God, loves people. A lot of peop- good people in that group. You get plugged into there. Join that group. It'd be good for you. You'd live longer and you'd be less snotty as well. But joy comes through relationships. As we, we close, just want to recap the keys that Paul has given us in these first eight verses of Philippians, the key to unlocking joy in your life is to remember the good in life. Key to unlocking joy in your life is to recognize that God is doing a work in each of us. And the third key is to remember that relationships with other believers matter. Unlock joy in your life by having relationships with other believers. It's a great time to jump in, jump into groups. Next week, we're going to be talking about how we can unlock joy in our life through prayer. And uh, I actually was planning to add this to this week's message, but for the sake of time, I'm, I'm pushing it off to next week. So next week, we're just going to focus on these two verses uh, and focus on this, this prayer that 
that Paul prays. We have these uh, printouts. Um, if you're, you're going to be here on campus this week, we'd love to get you one. Uh, otherwise, you go to our social media page and just snap a, a screenshot of it. But I want to invite all of you, as we kick off this new series through Philippians, as we kick off this fall ministry season, uh, to begin to pray this prayer for your family, I would love for you to pray it for me as your pastor. Pray it over, over our church, over our elders, over our staff. Pray it over your kids. Pray it over your, your coworkers. And as we close out this service, I want to I pray this prayer over you. And it says this. Paul writes, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. And this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So that you will be able to discern what is best. And you may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ to the glory and praise of God. I also want to give you an invitation today. I know some of you tuning in are not yet followers of Jesus. And and I would just submit to you, until you know God, you cannot know joy. Because joy is found in the presence of God. Joy is found in, in believing the Bible. Joy is found through the Holy Spirit. And so until you put your faith in God, you cannot experience joy that God has for you. And so if you wanna cross that line of faith and you wanna say, man, today I'm I'm surrendering my life to Jesus. I'm gonna trust him with all that I am. I'm, I'm, I'm done trying to drive this car on my own. I'm gonna let Jesus step into the driver's seat of my life. Let him have control. The Bible says that can all begin for you right now. Romans 10, nine says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you can be saved. Saved from what? Saved from hell one day? Yes, that's true. But you can be saved from a life without the presence of God in your life right now, today. You can experience his presence. And in doing so, you can experience his joy. You can be saved. And so if that's you, I'd be my honor just to lead you in a a prayer of commitment to God that would embark the first day of the rest of your life. So if that's you, I invite you to say a prayer with me like this. Say, God, today I confess that I've sinned. I've made mistakes. I know my sin separates you, me from you. It separates me in my relationship with you. But God, I believe that Jesus is Lord. Like he's, he's the king, like he's the boss. I'm gonna make, he's the CEO of the universe and I'm gonna make him the CEO of my life today. Because I believe that he didn't just die on the cross for my sins. I believe Jesus rose again. And so today, God, I surrender my life to you. I pray you give me the gift of eternal life and the gift of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey, if that was your prayer, once you know, man, we're, we are celebrating with you. Uh, in fact, we would love to connect with you, uh, welcome you to the family. Uh, where you, you're now a saint, uh, a set apart one, a holy one, uh, a follower of God, one who, who Paul was writing this, this letter to. And so we'd just be honored to connect with you. You can text us or email us at this number or email address on the screen. We'd love to help you get baptized. Even if you're from a, another state, we, we got some plans in place to try, to try to help you take that next step of obedience. But, but in the chat, let's whoop it up for people. We're celebrating with you right here in the room. Welcome to the family. God has big things in store for you. Uh, also, as we kind of transition back to worship, uh, one of the keys to joy is joy is found in the presence of God. So as Juan and the team lead us in another worship song, I just encourage you to to block everything else out around you. When we sing songs, it's not a mass karaoke moment. It's an opportunity for us to declare prayers to God about who he is 
and how we respond to him. And in doing so, you can encounter his presence. And in his presence, there's fullness of joy. Let the King of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from. Oh, He's my song. Let the King of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life. Oh, He's my song. You are good, good. You are good, good, oh And let the King of my heart be the wind inside my sails The anchor in the waves, oh, He's my song Let the King of my heart be the fire inside my veins the echo of my days, walk is my song. You are gonna let me down come and say it you're never gonna let never gonna let me down you never you're never gonna let never gonna let me down you're never gonna